Good morning, and welcome to the Revelation Power Podcast. I'm author and host Kevin Hopkins, and this is episode number 45. Today we're going to return to chapter 13 of the book of Revelation, and we're going to talk about the second beast that rises, this one on the earth. And it's really an interesting account. It requires that you and I kind of take stock of what we've seen to this point. From heaven, the dragon was thrown to the earth. He is defined as Satan. He is the embodiment of all evil. In the book, I, I issue a bit of a warning about personifying evil in, in terms of one personality. Uh, when we talk about the devil or we talk about Satan, we tend to anthropomorphize. To anthropomorphize means to give human characteristics to something that isn't human. And it's really important for you to bear in mind that Satan isn't human. He doesn't have human characteristics. He is a spiritual being with spiritual characteristics and spiritual abilities. Now, God has limited those abilities. He's not able to be everywhere at once. He's not all-powerful. He's not all-knowing. So Satan is not the things that God is. He's limited. And by being thrown down to the earth, he's also more limited. But he's still vastly more capable spiritually than you and I. He knows far more spiritually than you and I. He is the embodiment of all the evil that has ever existed or will ever exist from the creation of the universe till the end of time. To encounter him personally would, would terrify you to the point you'd probably die on the spot. It's all the evil of all time in one place. Knowing that he can't present himself in that fashion and, and be effective at all because he'd be instantly recognized. And that those who are in Christ have the power to resist him and make him flee. He has to present himself in another form. And so in the early part of chapter 13 of the book of Revelation, after he's thrown from heaven, he stands on the shore of the ocean and he conjures up or raises this beast out of the sea, the abyss. In, in Jewish thought, the two are one and the same. They weren't ocean-going people and they thought that the ocean was unfathomably, eternally deep. There was no way to find the bottom to it. And from it came all kinds of monsters. So when the book of Revelation says up out of the abyss, it can very easily mean out of the ocean. Now remember, we talked briefly about the explosion of, of uh, Vesuvius, of other volcanoes that are near water. Um, the, their culture would have been aware of underwater volcanoes. That has to be a fearsome thing if you don't have the science to understand what those are. And so the abyss, the sea, they're the same. The first beast comes up out of the ocean, out of the abyss, 
and he looks exactly like the dragon. He's got the same number of heads, the same number of horns. His crowns are on his horns instead of on his head because he doesn't have real authority, but he's got what appears to be royal power. He represents governmental structures that appear to have governmental power over people. And of course, in the book of Revelation, he represents the Roman Empire, but he's also archetypal. He represents all the earthly empires backed by the power of evil, and they all are, that will ever exist on the face of the earth. You and I try to separate good governments in and bad governments. We, we try to say, well, this country has a good government. This country has a bad government. But the truth is, they're all bad. They all seek to use the power of their people for their own good. The power of the United States government is the people. Without the people, there's no government. It's of the people, by the people, for the people. The people are in control of all the power of that government, but the government constantly seeks to usurp that power and to use it for the good of those who sit in the government, see? And and the Constitution of the United States is supposed to limit their ability to do that, but they have stopped civics education in in high schools. They've stopped government education in K through 12 schools so that they can usurp power and there's nobody to say, wait, we learned in school this is not how this is supposed to be. See, all governments eventually become evil. There isn't a government structure on earth that has its people's best interests at heart. All government structures have the the best interest of the people in the government at heart. Some are despotic. So sure, they look worse than something like ours, which is supposed to be representative. But why do you think the people in Washington, D.C. vie so, so hard to be the ones in power? Why do you think the parties fight against each other with such energy? Why do you think people who are common school teachers and business people go to Washington and a few years later are millionaires because that's how the government works. So the first beast with the 10 heads and, and the crowns and all the seven heads and 10 horns and the crowns on the horns and the head that had been wounded, he represents corrupt governmental structures that do the bidding of the devil, of evil. Now, this second beast, chapter 13, beginning in verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming from the earth, rising from the earth, arising on the earth. He doesn't come out of the earth. He doesn't come out of the ground. He arises from the power structures already on the earth. He is of the earth. He's, he's human. I saw another beast rising from the earth and it had two horns, like a ram, like a lamb. The The Greek word here is the word for lamb. He had two horns like a lamb. So he's, he's a young ram who's just spiked up a couple of horns. He's a lamb. You see, there's a parallel here. God and the, and the Christ are the lion and the lamb. Here, 
is the dragon and the ram, who's a lamb. It's a mimicry of of the real power. It's a mimicry of the real right. You see, evil has no power of its own. It can only mimic the real power. And so here is the mimicry of this young ram who has two horns. He's not overpowering, overwhelming. He's a cute little guy with two little spiky horns. But when he opens his mouth, what comes out sounds like a dragon. He was a ram with two horns, but he spoke like a dragon. This small beast exercised the full authority of the first beast on its behalf and compelled the earth, that is, those who live there, to worship the first beast whose mortal wound had healed. It performed impressive miracles, this second beast, even causing fire to fall from the heavens to the earth before people's eyes. It deceived those because it's a deception, right? It's not a ram. It's not a lamb. It's a dragon in sheep's clothing. It deceived those who dwell on the earth through the miracles it was permitted to perform on the authority of the first beast. And it forced those who dwelt on the earth to fashion an icon in honor of the beast who was wounded with the sword but lived. It was permitted to give some type of life to the icon of the beast that it might speak and cause whomever did not worship the icon of the beast to be executed. Now we're going to stop there. We'll deal with the mark of the beast in the next section, but let's let's figure out the identity of this beast first. So the first is the dragon, the second being is the first beast who comes up out of the ocean and he is governmental structure corrupt governmental structure this beast is all about worship this beast is every influence who causes people to worship the structures that make up their lives so that they worship the structures instead of God. Make sense? So it's really interesting to me that this this little ram with his cute little two horns is nothing but a deception. He is the he is the veiled power of the dragon expressed in the governmental structures of the first beast. But here this little guy is meant to be palatable to people. He's meant to be non-threatening. He is nothing but a deception. Now, you can look at all the deceiving structures in this world, in our lives, and those are the expression of this second beast. See? So, government is, I mean, they don't even try to hide it anymore. They're blatantly deceptive. But what are the structures that deceive us into believing the government has our best interests at heart and cause us to bow our knee, to bend our will, to to do what the government structures or other structures want us to do? Well, they're politicians 
They're bureaucrats. They are local authorities, state authorities, people who say you need to do what that entity wants you to do because it's for your own good. Line up now and take your vaccine. Everybody should get one. It's the miraculous cure to this horrible pandemic, right? People were astonished by the impressive miracles that this little beast does. It's interesting to me what we call miraculous in my day and age when most people don't believe in the truly miraculous. We, we hesitate to believe that God heals the sick or raises the dead. But when the government generates a vaccine in 365 days, we call it miraculous. Here is the miraculous cure, right? We'd locked down, that didn't work. We'd isolated ourselves, that didn't work. We'd separated by six feet, that didn't work. We closed our businesses, we crashed our economy. None of that worked and out came the vaccine. Interestingly enough, formulated and, and motivated by one political party and then executed by another and they both wanted to take credit. Of course they did. So we got our first vaccine. And then there was a surge in the infection rate. So another variant came along. After that surge, there was a variant and a second surge. So a second vaccine was required. We got our second vaccine and another surge came. And so then most of us have had our first booster. Most of us have been vaccinated three times and have the vaccinations given us immunity to the disease? No. No. We found out that they don't give us immunity. They may strengthen our system to fight the virus so that it, it may not kill us, but people still die who are fully vaccinated. It didn't really accomplish the miraculous outcome that was promised. But we lined up. We surrendered our individual rights. We we obeyed the authority above us because it had its cute little horns and its cute little furry self. And it said, we're here to help you. We don't want you to die. You would be a better neighbor and a friend if you were so concerned about everyone else that you took your vaccination. And yet we find out now it was all a deception. Well, not all. There's some benefit, we think, but you can still get infected. My children, who've had two vaccinations and their booster, all got the coronavirus this year. You can still get it. Not only that, you can still infect others with it. You're still contagious, even though you've been totally inoculated. What in the world did it actually accomplish? It's a deception. So much of what's foisted upon us by the government is a deception. Just a few years ago, healthcare costs were so high, insurance costs were so high, a huge portion of the population had no insurance and, and couldn't get it. And so the government took it over. Oh, praise be, the government will fix our problems, right? 
Well, instead of just deceiving you into wanting it, they passed a law that you had to have it. They made it mandatory. And to ease our fears, they said, if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. If you like your current health plan, you can keep your current health plan. And in fact, we believe that our new health plan will save the average family $2,500 a year. And it all turned out to be false. I lost my doctor. I couldn't keep my health plan, though it was a Cadillac health plan provided by my employer because it was found to be, quote, non-conforming, end of quote. My plan was non-conforming, so I couldn't keep it. When I lost my plan, I also lost my network. When I lost my network, I lost my doctor. Oh, I could still go see him, but I would have to pay $130 out of pocket every time I wanted to consult with him instead of the $10 deductible that I'd been paying under my health plan. I had a new health plan, but it didn't cover that doctor. I lost my health plan. I lost my doctor. Did, do you think it saved my family $2,500 a year to be on Obamacare? It did not. My new conforming plan costs cost my employer three times as much as the previous plan had cost. Three times as much. It was so expensive that my employer could no longer afford to provide everybody's health care, health insurance. And so we each had to pay about $250 a month of our own costs. So what used to be provided for me at no cost now cost me $3,000 a year out of my pocket. Plus, I lost my low deductibles. They were all now much higher. My out-of-pocket was was more. And my total limited out-of-pocket insured amount was higher. It was a disaster. And what did the politicians tell me? Well, well, we'll take care of this for you. You don't need to read it. Just help us pass it. And then you can read it once it's in force. <coughs> Excuse me. It just wasn't true. None of it was honest. It was a deception. And so here is this deceptive, beastly influence in my world performing miracles that aren't really miracles, but some people still are amazed by it, believing that the government can end hunger, that the government can can end poverty. We've had a war on drugs, we've had a war on poverty, and neither of them has been successful. But there's more at work here than just the government, because this beast encourages worship. The worship of structures and not the worship of God. Now it gets really scary because I look at what people worship in my world now. What has church become? Church has become thischurch.tv. And, and we watch it on a screen and we worship the dude who preaches the message every week because he's so funny and engaging and he always has such a good message. Is there ever 
an altar call? A call to response? A call to discipleship? No, we wouldn't want to do that because that might offend someone. And so we don't, we don't really do the work of Christ. We, we have small groups, and, and supposedly those small groups exist to do the work of Christ, but I've been part of small groups for 20 years now. You know how many people I've ever seen ask Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior at a small group? I, I don't think it's zero, but I'm pretty sure I could count the numbers on the fingers of one hand. We've given up the Great Commission to do corporate church, to do TV church, to do fab church. And so whatever the fad is now, that's what we're doing. Our, our churches have become a concert, and a do-better speech. Ten years ago, I moved to Seattle. I had been through a divorce. I had, I had given up my position in the church as a pastor. I had taken a job in the corporate world. I had moved halfway across the country to a new place, a, a, a new home, a new job, a new role, a new identity, and I had to find a church. So I went out looking at the churches that looked like something was happening there. And I went to this church basically because they were a customer of the business for which I now worked. And I heard good things about them. And so I went, I took my two small children and we went to church. Nobody said hello. Nobody came and said, hey, you look like you might be looking for where to go. No, we had to find, I had to find out where my kids belonged, if they could stay with me, if there was some type of teen or children's activities. <clears throat> and as we looked, church started. And when church started, they turned off all the lights. So that when I got to the sanctuary to try and find a seat, it was pitch black. And they've got lights and fog machines and, and light show and guitars and drums. The music was incredibly loud and it's incredibly dark. And so I'm picking my way through the dark to try and find any open chair where I can just sit down and be safe. <clears throat> Finally, I, in one of the flashes of the lights, I see an empty chair and I get sat down and, and nobody's really worshiping. They're just watching the concert. I didn't know any of the songs. I couldn't understand the words to the songs. The smoke hurt my lungs, whatever it was that they used to make the smoke so that the light shows more impressive. I thought I was at a concert. Then finally that's over and the lights come up and they, they turn on fans so the smoke clears out and the pastor comes out and he's, He's wearing jeans that look like a, a big cat has gotten a hold of him before he walked out on the platform. His, his jeans are shredded and they've got big cuts and holes in them. His shirt looks like he forgot to iron it. <laughs> but he's, he's really hip and he's got a really hip kind of message. I don't believe the scripture was ever quoted. If it was, it was just a tiny little bit way out of context. And, and it was about something about stress. 
and God could God could take care of your stress. And then it was over. There was no call to any kind of response. There was no invitation to any kind of relationship. And I walked out of there and went to find my kids and found my kids and we walked out and nobody ever said hi to us. But but we got out into the parking lot and this guy from a car next to me said, wow, wasn't that great church today? And I said, what, what did you get out of that? And he looked at me kind of funny. He's like, well, the music was awesome. I said, okay, what did you get out of it? What was the message today? He's like, well, that God is with us. Oh, well, okay. What did the pastor say that gave you that, that idea? He's like, well, the whole message, man. And he got in his car and drove off. I went home and posted to my social media, if God is light, why is it so dark in church? I, I just didn't find any, any spirit there that I could identify as, as God, as Christian, as Jesus incarnate. And, and I gave them a chance. I went for weeks to that church with my kids, without my kids. No one ever said hi to me. In, in eight or 10 weeks of attending that church. I heard a lot of great music. I saw a lot of hip sermons. I couldn't tell you what one of them was about. I never saw a single person dedicate their life to Christ. I never saw a single person come to the front of the church and ask that people pray for them for help for whatever they were facing. I never saw a tear. I never felt the Holy Spirit or people's lives falling under conviction, or people's lives falling under the joy of being in God's presence, I never saw it. It was just a corporate event, a really well-run, expensive corporate event, but it, it, it lacked anything that looked like church. We were being called to worship the structure. <clears throat> John Wesley once wrote to his brother and said, I fear for this group of people that now call themselves Methodists, that they will become a form of godliness, denying the power. And I look at the church in my day and age, and it has become exactly that. It is a form of godliness without power. It is a sheep with two little horns. It's cute. It's hip. It's cool. It's not Jesus. It's not God. And I have a real hard time with it. I see the corporate church worried about cancel culture, worried about its reputation, worried about what people are going to think of it or see in it. And and it, it sheds pastors. It sheds lay people. It sheds faithful folks because it's afraid that they've done something that would embarrass the church structure. And so because we worship the structure instead of the redeeming grace of God, we shed people left and right. And here they are out in my culture. I could right now, I could locate easily a hundred people in my little community right now who've been shed by their church, who've 
become disillusioned with the politics and the personalities and the control structures and the control freaks in their church. And these good, Jesus-loving, God-fearing people are adrift in society because they can't find a church that's not just a form of godliness denying the power. It's tragic. Where, people ask me all the time, where do you think we are in the book of Revelation? As though Revelation was a chronology. It's not. It's not a chronology. It's a statement of reality. And we're smack in the middle of it. And here we are with a governmental structure that is motivated by nothing but evil and a, and a ruling class and a church class who pay homage and tribute to structures rather than power. Here we are. I wish I had some encouragement in this part of this message. There isn't much. Except if this is what you're seeing, you're not wrong. You're not the crazy one. If what you're seeing in church today doesn't seem to meet the needs of your heart, you're not wrong. If you sit in church and you look around and you say, what are we worshiping? What are we accomplishing for the kingdom? What eternal good are we doing? You're not wrong. Church has become a shadow of what it's supposed to be. You're not wrong. It may be time to find people of like heart and and start something new. God has always worked that way. He's always used the remnant for revival. And it may be time to start something different so that you can see revival. But what's coming is going to be really shocking. When we open the next session and we talk about the mark of the beast, I think you're going to find it even more concerning. My encouragement is this. God is still God. The real church is still the real church that seeks to reflect his love and his grace and his redemption in this world. If your church isn't doing that, change churches or or band together with people of like hearts and start a church at your house. But find the real will of God and the real grace of God and the redemptive power of God to lead people out of addiction, to lead people out of poverty, to lead people out of self-defeating mental perspectives. In this lost, violent world, be a voice for peace and a voice for the, for the working of God in this world. Be a voice of redemption. If you are trying to be that, I want you to be encouraged that you're the person God's looking for. You're the person who God wants to empower to speak against whatever's going on in your world that is a form of godliness without power. And if people won't listen, then gather around you people of like mind and form a remnant church and and find a way to please the Lord in a small, small church, even a small group. Six people gathered together doing God's will would be better than 6,000 gathered together worshiping in the dark. I know it's a serious message. 
But at this point, the book of Revelation is meant to be serious. It's meant to get our attention. It's meant to warn us about that which is deceptive in our world. And when you start to look, there's a lot in our world that's deceptive. Open your eyes. Be discerning. Count on the Spirit of God to show you the truth. And then follow that truth.